thanks to, to all of you who are joining us online as well. We wish you could be here with us for Church in the Open and, and our series through the book of Acts. Uh, and, and, and over the course of the last 13 weeks, what we've really been taking a look at is the, the first century church, the early church, and what we've been seeing is what authentic Christianity really looks like. And so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 15, and what's recorded there are really, the, they serve as the meeting minutes for this long, arduous, intense debate that took place more than 2,000 years ago that we often refer to as the Jerusalem Council. And really for that debate, for the course of this, this discussion and this arduous conversation or debate rather, really there's only one thing that was on the docket and it was this, is Jesus enough? Or in other words, is Jesus all we need to be saved? Or is there some other moral, ethical, cultural code that we have to live up to in order to prove ourselves to God? And so the significance of this debate really is, is it's difficult to overstate. And, and what I want to show you are two things that I believe through it were established and settled. And uh, those two things first, the first of those two things is that if we add anything to the gospel, it's no longer good news. If we add anything to the gospel, it's no longer good news. And secondly, it's the truth of the gospel that liberates us. And so, so up to this point, I think it's important for us to understand that the message of Jesus, it had spread, but it had spread primarily to Jewish people. And even though thousands of Jewish people had embraced Jesus, they didn't abandon their culture or their customs or their biases. And so one of the major customs that they held on to was this thing called Mosaic Levitical law. And one of the biases, one of the cultural biases that they held on to was the idea that culturally they were superior to all other cultures, that Jewish culture was the superior culture and all other ways of life were in fact inferior. And not just inferior, they were so dangerous to their way of life that they couldn't even associate with other peoples. In fact, it was against the law for a Jewish person to associate with what we call Gentiles. They were taught this from childhood, and you could imagine that these were hard habits to break, as are any habits that we've been taught from our childhood. And here's why. Here's why this was such a difficult habit for first century Jewish followers of Jesus to break. Ultimately, what they viewed was any departure from their culture or their customs as a departure from God. And this is why many Jewish Christians in the first century stayed close to Jerusalem. They lived in the shadow of the temple and they surrounded themselves by things that they were familiar with and people that believed and shared the customs in, in the culture that they had. And so the church was growing at this point in time, despite all of this, but it wasn't growing in the way that Jesus had intended it to. You see, somewhere along the line, they had missed what Jesus said and they had lost sight of Jesus' vision for his church that was going to deliver hope to the entire world. To take the message of Jesus, the gospel, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And so even though most Jewish Christians during this time were extremely content with how things were, there were people that did start to take the gospel message, the message of Jesus, to non-Jewish cultures. People like Paul started to take this message to non-Jewish cultures, and, and as Gentiles began to embrace Jesus, some of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, namely a group of Pharisees, 
got a little nervous and tensions started to rise because what they were hearing is that the faith of Gentiles was markedly different than theirs. And in so many ways, Jewish Christians during this first century period, they saw Jesus really as a continuation of their culture and their customs. And so they continued to do what they always did. And somehow they missed that the church that Jesus was building, it wasn't a continuation of something old. It was, it was the start of something absolutely and utterly new. And it wasn't bound to a specific culture or group of people. And it wasn't bound to a specific set of rules or rituals or customs. It wasn't contingent upon what people were going to do for him. It was based completely upon what Jesus had done for people. And what Jesus was doing ultimately through his church is he was making a way for all people everywhere to have a healthy, whole relationship with God and with each other. And so in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, what we see is the tension is rising as this new movement starts to reach people that it always was intended to reach. And here's what we read in Acts 15, verse 1. It says, some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. And here's what I want you to see here, that if we had anything to the gospel, it's no longer good news. Now, because of what Jewish Christians believed to be true about God and how they were supposed to relate to God according to their culture and customs, it's completely understandable that tensions would rise as Paul made his way through modern-day Syria and Turkey, telling people that that Jesus' death and resurrection had completely obliterated the need to follow Mosaic and Levitical law, and that it was no longer necessary to be culturally Jewish in order to have a right relationship with God that anyone could experience freedom through Jesus. And what's so intriguing to me about what we see in this this, this verse here, in verse 1 in Acts chapter 15, is really what it is. is It's a summary statement of the first organized missionary movement from the church in Jerusalem. And And the catalyst for it wasn't Jesus telling the church at Jerusalem that they were to take this message of hope to the entire world, to every culture everywhere. Really what it was, it was sparked by by Jews really wanted to make sure that their culture and customs were equally important to Jesus. They were adding something to the gospel. And when we add anything to the gospel, it's no longer good news. Now this message would have sounded completely reasonable to Jewish Christians. In fact, it just would have reinforced what they always believed. But for Gentiles, this would have been horrible, staggering news, especially if you were a man, because here's what it meant. Salvation through surgery, circumcision. And I'm sorry, but there ain't a long line of bros that are showing up to have that happen to them in adulthood. And so, so, but, but ultimately there's something even more deeply disturbing than that would have, that would have been even more devastating than that. And it was this, that this ultimately meant that if, if we had to follow Mosaic law, that if men had to be circumcised, what this ultimately meant is that the hope Jesus offers really is only for people who are culturally Jewish. And circumcision is one thing, but the more than 600 laws that Gentiles would have had to reorient their lives around was basically a hoop that nobody wanted to jump through, and frankly, nobody could jump through. 
And so Paul and Barnabas, what we're going to find out is they happen to be some 300 miles north of Jerusalem at a city called Antioch when they collided with these men from Judea. And verse 2 is where we see what transpired. Here's what it says. Acts 15 verse 2 says, But after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, the church arranged for Paul and Barnabas and some others of them to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem concerning this controversy. So here we have Paul and Barnabas. They get into it with these gentlemen from Judea because they know how important it is that the message we proclaim shows people Jesus, not some ideology about religion or politics or something we feel so strongly about that we end up forcing that onto people. Now, now here's what, here's what we should be known as if, if, we're, if we call ourselves Christians. We should be known first and foremost by our affinity for Jesus. We should lead with Jesus. And if we're leading with our religion or we're leading with our politics or we're leading with our opinions, people are going to miss Jesus. If we're leading with our culture or we're leading with our customs, people are going to miss Jesus. And so Paul gets into this heated debate in Antioch, and then he decides to do it again in Jerusalem. And it might be easy to miss the significance of what what Paul did when he left everything, when he literally dropped everything that was before him and made his way to Jerusalem. So let me help you understand what I mean when I say that Paul dropped everything. Now consider this, and you may have never thought of Paul in this light, but after Jesus, Paul was literally the chief architect of one of the most effective, widespread human movements in the history of the world. And maybe you're wondering why I'm suggesting this, so let me explain. I think you'd agree that if some 2,000 years later, 2,000 years from now, millions of people were gathering together every week to study every word of your teaching, you'd consider that success. And now this is the impact that Paul's life has had on humanity. And in this moment, when Paul was in Antioch and confronted with this, this gospel to which something had been added, things were moving really quickly. He was seeing thousands of people come to Jesus, and it would have made complete sense for Paul to say, hey, if we stop now, we're going to lose all the momentum that we've seen, and this whole entire movement is going to come to a halt. But Paul drops everything to go to Jerusalem because people were adding to the gospel. And he knew that any time we add anything to the gospel, it's no longer good news. And it's no longer good news because it's no longer true. And it's no longer true because it becomes something that's entirely up to us. And we know what we do with things that are entirely up to us. Eventually, we fall short. And if something's no longer true, frankly, it just becomes a burden that we end up having to bear. But Paul knows how important it is that we accurately grasp and hold the truth of the gospel. And so he makes his way to Jerusalem, and the significance of what transpires there is really impossible to overstate. Now, mind you, this is a long, intense debate, and what Luke records in Acts is just the cliff notes. It's kind of like the meeting minutes. And if we were looking at the agenda, there was one item on it, and it was this. Is Jesus enough? And on one side of this debate, you had the Pharisees, right, who were convinced that the only way to experience freedom was through following Mosaic law. And on the other side, you had Paul, 
who had countless stories from Gentile communities where people were coming to faith in Jesus and experiencing freedom and lives were being transformed. And after a a lengthy debate, Peter stands up and he says this, and it's recorded in Acts chapter 15, verse 6 is where it starts. And it says this, Brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them by giving the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. Now, I mentioned before that most first century Christians were Jewish. And uh, w- what that meant was they were raised following Mosaic and Levitical law. And what Mosaic and Levitical law was, it really was an extensive system that through which uh, every move you made was, was dictated and determined. And what that meant is it dictated who you could hang with, what you could eat, where you could go, where you should gather, what you could do, what you could touch, who you could associate with. And it was, it was completely understood that any departure from this culture or these customs was a departure from God. And I think it's, that, it's, it's important. It's no small thing that this debate is taking place at the epicenter of Jewish culture and custom, Jerusalem. This is where Jewish people from all over the world would have come to gather to celebrate their culture and their customs. And what Peter is saying here is that through Jesus and Jesus alone, God God had completely and fully eliminated the walls of exclusion that had separated people from God. And he was now welcoming people who for centuries had been counted as outsiders into the family of God. People who for thousands of years were looked down upon and rejected and seen as inferior. He was now welcoming these people to be a part of his family. That through Jesus, people who had had historically been marginalized because of culture and customs were now being welcomed into the family of God. And it had nothing to do with creed or culture or race it had everything to do with being saved by grace through faith in jesus and i think what paul says in verse 10 it really highlights this crushing weight that i imagine every jewish person was bearing trying to keep the jewish law it's the weight that gentiles felt when they heard that they had to follow Mosaic law and that men had to be circumcised in order to be saved. It's the weight that we feel when 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 we sense that we can't live up to our culture's expectations or the expectation of our religion or our way of life or or our parents' expectations or our spouse's expectations. And shoot, I'm convinced that it's the weight that I feel when I can't even live up to the expectations that I've placed on myself. And here's what Peter says, and here's what he's talking about, and what he's highlighting is this unbearable burden that we all experience when we add things to Jesus' finished work. And it's this unbearable burden that we're all dying to be liberated from, that only Jesus can liberate us from. And it's right here in Acts 15.10. He says, 
Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? Now, keeping the law was extremely difficult. It was difficult for Jewish people who were raised in it, on it, and around it. And if that was the case, it was going to be exponentially more difficult for Gentiles. And now circumcision might have been seen as painful, but it paled in comparison to the arduous work of reorienting your life according to Jewish civil, moral, and religious code. And so Peter knows, he knows how unrealistic it is to think that we can fix ourselves by following a bunch of rules. And he also knows, and perhaps this is even more important, that that's not, Mosaic law is not the means by which he came to embrace Jesus. And so here's what he says. He says, we believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. And what he's saying is, we didn't come to Jesus because the law led us to him. We came to Jesus because he, seeing how the weight of the law was absolutely crushing us, came to us and he set us free of this burden that was impossible for us to carry. And what Peter is saying is so important because freedom was at stake. And freedom was at stake because the truth of the gospel was at stake. And it's the truth of the gospel that liberates us. Let me say that again. It's the truth of the gospel that liberates us. And it liberates us in two ways. It liberates us spiritually and it liberates us culturally. Now, spiritual freedom really, I think, is one of the the markers that makes Christianity so unique from every other religion, worldview, or philosophy. Because in essence, every other religion, worldview, or philosophy ultimately just offers us advice. Advice about what we have to do to live a good life or to be good enough or to connect with God. But Christianity offers us something different. And unlike any other worldview, Christianity offers us a solution rather than advice. It doesn't offer us suggestions about how to connect with God. The gospel offers us spiritual freedom because it's not advice about what you have to do. It's simply the solution, and it's what God has done through Jesus to make everything right between you and him. Now, all all other religions, worldviews, and philosophies, even though they may sound inspiring, they all start by piling burdens on. And that's why Peter stands up and he says, we can't put a yoke or burden on these people who are turning to God. If we do, we're just adding something to the gospel. And anytime we add anything to the gospel, it's no longer good news. And the reason, the reason it's no longer good news is because it's piling burdens on rather than taking the burdens off. And I don't know anyone right now who needs another burden. We don't need more advice. What I believe that we need is a solution. And it's the truth of the gospel that liberates us. Because it's not advice. It's a solution to all the weight we experience as humans. And now the moment, the moment that you embrace Jesus is the moment the chains are broken and you can experience true freedom. Because Jesus takes off all of the burdens. He takes off the burden of trying to prove yourself. The burden of the past, of all the guilt and the regret of things you've done wrong. And I believe he removes the burden of the future. Fear that you're not going to live up to whatever expectations you're trying to live up to right now, whatever standards you're chasing. Now, traditional religions, I think they share this one common thread. That if you live up to the standards and you hit all the benchmarks, then and only then will God bless you. 
And I don't know anybody that doesn't see that as something other than a burden. This puts an incredible burden on us, but the gospel takes all of that off. The gospel takes off the crushing burden of parental expectations. Because here's what it says. It says you're no longer defined by what your parents think about you. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And it's all contingent upon what Jesus has done for you. Now, if, you, if, if, you're, if you're my age, which I'm in my 30s, FYI, um, you know that from the time that you were little, you were told to follow your dreams, set goals, chase whatever you want to chase, become whatever you want to be. And on, on a surface level, that sounds extremely freeing, does it not? So at, so at age 12, here's what you did. You came up with all these dreams and these lofty goals because everyone told you to set goals and chase your dreams and to be anything you want to be. But was that really liberating? I don't believe that it was liberating. I believe that it was more crushing than it was liberating. And here's why. Because as the years went by, so did my goals. So did my dreams. So did my hopes. And not because they were bad, but because they were simply unattainable. And because of this, there are times at which I'm haunted by shame and feelings of inadequacy. But Jesus can take all of that off of us because the truth of the gospel liberates us. And now here's what I find. Here's one of the things I find so interesting about this passage and about my life and about other Christians that I talk to. We have no problem saying that Jesus paid it all, but then we live like there's some, still some debt that we ourselves have to pay. And that's not spiritual freedom. I think that's more like spiritual bondage. And it happens every time we add anything to what Jesus has fully done. And whether that's living up to your parents' expectations or following your dreams and trying to achieve your goals or, or voting in the right way or speaking out against injustice or working to save the environment or lifting up some social cause. You know what living like that does? It sabotages our freedom. And eventually, it ends up becoming an idol at the expense of everything else. And we become more legalistic than we, than we are alive in Jesus. And so the point here is that every time we lose sight of grace and the truth and the truth of the gospel, we forfeit our spiritual freedom. But we also forfeit our cultural freedom. And ultimately, Gentiles here, what they were being told is that they had to become culturally Jewish in order to be saved. And this was a crushing burden. Because in order to do that, you'd have to reorient your entire life around hundreds of Mosaic and Levitical laws. And these laws were the basis of Jewish culture. And now what's interesting here is that Paul himself was a Pharisee. And he had literally given his entire life trying to live according to Mosaic and Levitical law. But when Paul met Jesus on the Damascus road, it changed everything. And Paul his perspective on the law completely changed. He no longer saw it as something that he had to complete. He saw it as something that was designed to do two things. First, it was designed to show people how spiritually broken they are and how powerless we are to fix it. But secondly, every one of those laws and the sacrificial system was intended to point forward to Jesus. And when Paul started preaching that Jesus' death had completely negated the need for Mosaic and Levitical law, he was doing that because Jesus, the one all of those laws had always pointed to, had come. 
the law was just a shadow, but Jesus was the reality that had come. And because Jesus had come, the walls that separated people from God and Jew from Gentile had been completely destroyed. And now people from all races and religions and nations were being welcomed into the family of God together. And this is what God had always intended. And now it was happening because of Jesus. And so you don't have to be culturally Jewish to follow Jesus. And you don't have to be culturally anything, whether you're American or Asian or African or African-American. Whatever culture you're from, you don't have to culturally become something else in order to become a Christian. You can embrace Jesus as you are where you are because the truth of the gospel liberates us. It liberates us spiritually and it liberates us culturally. And this is why Paul argued at Antioch. And this is why the elders and the apostles agreed in Jerusalem that if Jewish Christians wanted to keep the Mosaic law, fine. But because of Jesus, it was no longer necessary because the truth of the gospel liberates us. Now, as Peter was returning to his seat, as he finished saying what he was saying, and he was returning to his seat, James, the brother of Jesus, stood up and he spoke. And before I tell you what James said, I just want to I, I remind you of how important it is that James became a follower of Jesus. In fact, I think that James' James belief in Jesus as the Son of God is, is one of the, the, the most compelling proofs that we have of Jesus' deity. And here's why. Can you imagine what you would have to do to convince your brother, if you have one, that you were the Son of God? So James, embracing Jesus as the Son of God, it's no small thing. But James stands up and he quotes a passage from an Old Testament prophet named Amos. And based on this passage that he reads, what I think is abundantly clear is that James believes, he believes that Gentile believers should be welcomed into the family of God without having to become Jewish or adopt any Jewish customs whatsoever. And so to remove any doubt that this is what he believes, James concludes with a statement. It's recorded in Acts chapter 15. It's verse 19. And I think this statement should be the guiding principle for every follower of Jesus. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties to the, for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. Now, like that. Just like that, this became their North Star. And they were committing to, above everything else, not make it hard for people to meet Jesus. No more leading with their customs or their culture. No more leading with their politics or their preferences or their opinions. They were committing to show people Jesus in a way that didn't make it hard for them to believe. Now, I think this should be the plumb line for every pastor for every elder, for every deacon, for every small group leader, for every staff member at every church, everywhere, for every Christian, that in everything that we do, every service that we have, every program we offer, every event that we host, we do so with the people on the outside who Jesus wants to reach in mind. And we do it in a way that doesn't make it hard for them to connect and put their faith in Jesus. The Jerusalem Council made this the, the top priority. And here's what they did next. They wrote a letter 
to all these Gentile believers who were riddled with anxiety because of the message that they heard. They, they were disturbed. I mean, this, this would have been tragic news if you were a Gentile in the first century to hear that, it, that, that Jesus wasn't enough, that you had to become culturally Jewish, that you had to adopt all these Jewish customs and rituals and rites in order to be saved, that would have been absolutely devastating. And so, so to settle the matter for Gentiles in the first century, and Gentiles right now, which, which is a lot of us, they wrote a letter and they sent it to Gentile believers, and it's recorded in Acts chapter 15. It starts in verse 24. Here's what it says. Greetings. Because we have heard that some without our authorization went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts, we have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you along with our dearly loved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we've sent Judas and Silas, who will personally report the same things by word of mouth. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours, to put no greater burden on you than these necessary things, to abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. You will do well if you keep yourselves from these things. Farewell. So here's what happened. Essentially, these early church leaders took more than 600 Old Testament laws that had been in place for thousands of years, and they boiled them down to two things that were to serve as guiding principles for followers of Jesus. Be careful what you eat and avoid sexual immorality. And this is completely unreal. This is unreal to me because I think that in some churches, what you're going to find is a long list of rules and regulations that really do nothing other than make it hard for people to put their faith in Jesus. And let's be honest that sometimes... We have our own rules and regulations and expectations that make it hard for us, first and foremost, to connect with Jesus and to follow Jesus, and that make it absolutely difficult for the people in our personal lives to see Jesus. But that's not what's happening here. What's most impressive here, and I hope you see this, is that Peter, Paul, and James, who themselves were Jewish, they were the ones that came to this conclusion. They could have maintained their white-knuckle grip on the church during the first century and made everyone become like them culturally. And that might have even made things easier for them. They wouldn't have been wrestling with the tension that arises when you're trying to love people that don't believe what you believe or that are nothing like you culturally. And Paul probably wouldn't have had to confront the things he had to confront in some of the letters he wrote, like, like 1 Corinthians. You guys remember that one? Well, if you hadn't, here's what he was addressing there. He was basically saying, stop sleeping with your stepmom and stop coming to church drunk. I think he would have avoided all that together. But instead of maintaining status quo, here's what they did. I feel like they embraced what the church was always intended to be about, that it wasn't about making people become like them. It was about helping people become who they were always intended to be through a relationship with Jesus. It was about trusting the transforming power of Jesus so much that they were willing to let go of anything that became an obstacle between people and Jesus. And so after this, a group of men, they took this letter to Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. And after the news, 
of this decision that the early church leaders made had reached the Gentiles, we actually get to see a, a snapshot of the outcome. And I think this is pretty amazing. It's recorded in Acts 16, verses 4 and 5. Here's what we, here's what we read there. It says, as they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for them to observe. Now, now, now hear this. Here's what happened as that message was delivered. Now, mind you, anytime we add something to the gospel, it's no longer good news. So as this message was circulated, I just see burdens coming off and people being set free. It says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. And what's so moving about this is that these early church leaders, what they were doing is they were trusting Jesus to the point that they did. They no longer felt like they had to control people. And as we read on the story of the church, it's nothing but a mess. It gets messy. It gets weird. It's far from perfect. But through it all, lives are transformed by Jesus because they left it all up to Jesus. And now to close today, I got two people in mind that I want to talk to. And maybe, maybe you're here today or you're, you're with us online and you really, you, you, you resonate. Like, like what happened to the Gentiles really resonates with you because you've been told that you need to clean yourself up or abandon your lifestyle before you can come to Jesus. And if that's you, if you've been hurt by church people, if you've been unsettled by what church people have told you, I hope that, I hope that you know that that was never God's desire. And I hope that you see that the Jerusalem Council, what, what it was really all about is that's exactly what happened to these Gentile believers that someone had added something to the gospel and it was no longer good news. And God never intended that. And so I hope, I hope that you can see that. And if you, if you're hurt and if you're angry and that's because, and, 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 that, and that's as a result of what church people have told you or done to you, I'm, I'm deeply sorry for that. But I want to ask you to do one thing. I want to ask you to reconsider your relationship with Jesus and stop letting someone else control your relationship with Jesus. Stop letting a, a creature control your relationship with your creator. And now secondly, for those of us that have been following Jesus for a number of years, those of us who would be considered insiders in this scenario, the question that I believe that this raises for us is twofold. It's, are we more like the Pharisees or the apostles? Are we obsessing over the behavior of people trying to change them? Are we trying to remove all the obstacles in their path so that they can meet Jesus and so that Jesus can transform lives the way that only Jesus can? Look, that's what the Jerusalem Council ultimately was all about. And maybe God's placed people in your life that you're exhausted with because you've been trying to change them. And maybe the word for you today is to stop trying to change them. And maybe it's time for you to start loving them in a way that shows them Jesus and you start leaving the changing up to God. Now look, if we want to live lives that make it easy for people to meet Jesus... I think it starts with discovering what the apostles discovered at the Jerusalem Council. 
it starts with discovering that if we add anything to the gospel, it's no longer good news. And it's no longer good news because it creates burdens that no one can live up to. And it's no longer good news because it sabotages the truth of the gospel that liberates us. And I'm convinced that when we start to understand this, we then have the freedom to get out of the way and leave it up to Jesus to transform lives. And every time we do this, we're showing people that Jesus is enough. Let me pray for us. God, we are so thankful that you saw fit to interrupt uh, what was what was unfolding during the first century and people getting saved and, and your church exploding by way of growth. You saw fit to interrupt all that, to settle a matter once and for all, that Jesus was enough. And you saw fit to settle it that any time we add anything to the gospel, the gospel is no longer good news. And you saw fit to settle it that the gospel can absolutely liberate us. It can liberate us spiritually and it can liberate us culturally. And God, we're just asking, we're asking that like that first century church, like Peter and Paul and James, we would fully understand and embrace this life that you called us to live as followers of Jesus. To not do anything that would make it difficult for people to place their faith in Jesus. Make us a church like that. Make us people like that. That in everything that we do, Jesus would be on the forefront That we would lead with Jesus in a way that allowed people to come to faith in Jesus. God, we love you so much. We are so grateful for the fact that you paid it all and there's no more debt to pay and that we can experience true freedom. God, thank you. We love you. We worship you for who you are. In your holy name, amen.